Good morning. Great to see everyone, and we are so excited that uh, R.T. Kendall is with us today. Um, we missed him so much during our Word, Spirit, and Power conference, but uh, we were delighted to get him here just as quickly as we can, and uh, I think everybody knows him. I think everybody's heart is ready. Would you give him a good welcome home today? Did you want something? <laughs> give, give, him a, give him a camera. Uh, he want to take my picture? Okay. Okay. I'm so glad to be back. I'm sorry to miss the previous time. In my old age, would you believe it, uh, I get more invitations than I ever have. And, and somehow I just couldn't come when uh, the last Word Spirit Power Conference uh, the bad news is that you managed without me. <laughs> God knew how to humble me. Good news is that I've invited myself back, and if Charles and Jack uh, are able, we'll do it at least one more time. I would say that this is the nearest to a Word Spirit Church that I know of in the whole world. And uh, I'm just thrilled to be here. Stephen, precious friend, thank you for inviting me. Love coming here. And, uh, oh dear, Justin. <laughs> Listen, serious comment. I'm so sorry about your dad. Yeah, I love you. You still married to that pretty girl? You know, one of the mysteries of life when I come here, how did you get her? Uh, but, you know. God is gracious, isn't he? I want to read two passages of Scripture. First, from Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. And then another passage from 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 3. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's put in the King James Version, endure hardness. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. 
helped me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. And I pray that this will be a life-changing word, a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you received a letter from a prisoner, and one you'd never met, and he wanted to give you instructions how to live your life, would you believe him? The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians. They've never met. This is not one of the churches that he founded. Most of the letters in, in the New Testament written by Paul are to those that they knew him. Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Thessalonians. Colossians, no. Someone else had led them to the Lord but he feels led to write to them. And that's what he does. And he gives them instructions. And I want to focus on one of the words of those letters, uh, of this letter, those word verses to the Colossians. I would call the title of my sermon today, Mysterious Reasons for Suffering. It's a title that I borrowed from Joseph Tsong. I may refer to him later. So Paul has not met these Colossians. Uh, why should they believe him? And then why should you believe what I shall speak about today? This is not going to be the most popular subject you've ever heard. It is arguably the most neglected subject among Pentecostals and Charismatics. There is an absence of the teaching of suffering. You see, I wrote a, a book several years ago, Thorn in the Flesh. One of the most popular prosperity teachers, health and wealth teachers, said, and this is a quote, he said, if you can believe it, if the Apostle Paul had had my faith, he wouldn't have had a thorn in the flesh. You see, this kind of teaching where people are told, you don't need to suffer, it's all good stuff. And yet, the irony is, since I've prepared this message for you, I just found out just three or four days ago that the most popular of all the health and wealth prosperity teachers, the best known, I won't mention his name, but you can figure it out, just a few days ago has renounced teaching that says he's got it wrong. It's only a matter of time that people have to face up with certain things. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation. And I have a feeling there's somebody here today. You're in the middle of the greatest trial of your life. And this is a word for you. I've come to be a blessing. I hope to come back. But if I knew this would be the last time I spoke to you, I'd be very happy for this to be the last word you heard from me. You see, we're living in the me generation. 
the me decade. What's in it for me? That is what people want to hear. And if that is what has kept you going, it's only a matter of time you're going to hit a wall and say, how could this happen to me? Well, now, a strange comment here by the Apostle Paul. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Why? Well, it was a challenge that he himself had taken on board for him and for them. And it gave them an opportunity to embrace a further stigma. The word stigma is a pure Greek word. It comes uh, from the Hellenistic world. A stigma uh, was like a tattoo, a mark on a body. It was put on runaway slaves so that they would be known. And the stigma is something we are to bear. It's something that you're not particularly enjoying. You see, who asks these days, what's in it for God? We all ask, what's in it for me? And in my old age, I've determined to ask this question. What's in it for God? And I think a word today could be life changing for you. I don't expect any opposition to this. Your pastor is with me 100%. And, uh, but it may be different from what you might have expected from me. Uh, for that person who's here today, I, I, I believe you're here, you are now in. You're right in the middle of the greatest trial of your life. And this is for you. And if you're not in it, uh, remember what I say, because down the road you may need to recall these things. Now, I'm going to jump in at the deep end, and I want to talk to you about predestination and suffering. Don't be afraid of the word predestination. You see, it's because of predestination you're here. Paul said that we are chosen from the foundation of the world. And not only that, uh, we are predestined to suffering. You say, predestined to suffering? Yes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul said to the Thessalonians, don't be unmoved by these trials knowing you were destined for them. Now, that isn't uh, what is often taught, but Paul needed to tell them that. Here's the thing. When we preach the gospel, you can't think of everything to say. The main thing is Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You're trusting his blood. Uh, but the question is, why be a Christian? Why do you think people should be Christians? And sometimes we find out after we're in the family... Uh, we think, boy, nobody told me about this. And so Paul says, don't be unmoved by them. You are destined for them. 1 Thessalonians 3, 3. In fact, Philippians 1, verse 30. He said, it is given to us on behalf of Christ not only to believe, but to suffer for his sake. Does that surprise you? And if you to find out you've got to suffer... Are you going to say, well, look, uh, this is not what I thought I signed up for. Uh, goodbye. 
Do you know the first letter of the New Testament that is not in chronology as it's put in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but the first one to be written was the book of James around probably 48 AD, the first written. Do you know what his opening words are? Count it all joy when you fall into divers' trials. One version, count it pure joy. The question is, do you do that? Or do you say, God, how could this happen to me? After I'd been at Westminster Chapel for two years, I felt led to preach from the book of James, to go through it verse by verse. And uh, we spent two years in James. I think they're all in print in two volumes. Uh, the point is, I chose James after I'd been there just a couple years. But then I got to thinking about something. That opening verse, count it pure joy, count it all joy. How do I deal with that? Well, it just so happened that it was during our holiday time uh, in those days at Westminster Chapel. They gave us uh, six weeks in the summer to do what we wanted to do, but I preached nonstop all the rest of the year. Never took a Sunday off. But I had six weeks in the summer, and I thought, when I get back to London, I've got to start James, and I've got to deal with that verse. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? Well, uh, the year before, we went to uh, the Florida Keys. Uh, you that know me well know that I'm a fisherman. By the way, your dad always promised to take me fishing. But, but I'll get over it. But I, I'm a fisherman. And uh, always went to the Florida Keys. But one summer, uh, I took the kids to Disney World. And uh, they said, Daddy, could we go back to Disney World? I said, well, we were there last year. Oh, please. Well, I remembered one thing. The previous year, where we stayed in Kissimmee, Florida, this place served the best pizza I had ever eaten in my life. I'm not making this up. I thought, well, you know, I'll endure Disney World just for that pizza. And uh, so I said, okay, we will go. So, so we, we check into the hotel and uh, go down six blocks and go to this pizza place where we all stood in line. TR, uh, Melissa, Louise, we told what we wanted. And I'm the last, I want the works. I want you know, tomato, mushrooms, pepperoni, sausage, the works. Okay, we go sit down. After 20 minutes, uh, we thought we'd be ready for now. After 30 minutes, I go up to the counter and said, uh, excuse me, uh, is our pizza ready? What's your name? Kendall. We don't have any Kendall here. I said, I ordered it 30 minutes ago. He said, sorry, uh, what do you want? Now, these were the days before I got spiritual. <laughs> there were no TV cameras, nobody taking my picture, nobody knew me. I said, am I to believe that we've been sitting here 30 minutes and you don't, well, what do you want, sir? Bring a, Melissa, TR, Louise, tell them what you want. I put my order in, cheese, tomato, mushrooms, all the, well, uh, finally it came. 
By the time we got our order, it started to rain. Now, when it rains in central Florida, it rains. It was so strong, I put the headlights on at 5 o'clock in the evening, and I couldn't even see the street. But slowly, we go back to the hotel, pull up next to the room, and the kids take theirs and jump out, run into the room. And when I step out, is about 18 inches of water. And I put my foot into the water, get my pizza, the water beats down on this brown paper bag. And the next thing I know is that my pizza is floating on the water. <laughs> it looked like an Egyptian pyramid, pepperoni, sausage, mushrooms, green peppers. <laughs> so I go in, and the kids are already on watch, eat, watching TV and eating their pizza. I said, I'll be back in a few minutes. I have to go back and face the same man six blocks. I promise you what happened in those five minutes, strange as it may seem, would turn out to be the most life-changing moment I had known in a generation. As I'm going back, I thought, I'm going back to London to preach on count it all joy when you fall in all kinds of troubles. And I thought, either what I'm going to preach is true or it isn't. And I had so looked forward to that moment. And I now have to go back to face the man that I wasn't very nice to. And I came up with a phrase, dignify this trial. I repented. And I th thought how over the years I have complained every time there was a trial. And I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I went in and first I apologized to the man. I shouldn't have talked to you like I did. And I said, in the meantime, uh, I need to order this. <laughs> Pepperoni, mushrooms, <laughs> green peppers, sausage. When it came, he wouldn't even charge me, which is, I didn't expect that. It was nice of him. But I'll never forget it, as long as I live. It changed my life. And when I worked through the book of James, the whole book opened up to me. And Jesus said, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And when James has counted all joy, you think, well, look, uh, if a trial comes, I must go looking for trouble. I must go looking for a trial. No, the way James put it, and the King James Version got it right, count it all joy when you fall. In other words, you didn't make it happen. You don't go out looking for a trial. Don't do that. It'll come soon enough. But if you fall into it, you qualify to count it joy. And why would you? Why do it? It's because you have a chance to dignify what God has allowed. And it's a test whether you will serve him when the going is not good. Well, you're called to it. And it's a matter of time. You say, well, they didn't tell me this when they gave me the gospel. As I said, we just can't think of everything, but... But now that you know, do you want to stay in or do you want to leave? James says, count it pure joy 
Because if you do, you will look back and be so thankful. I want to come now to the purpose of suffering. One of these strange comments. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, that is, the church. It is one of the strangest comments Paul ever made. He only did it once. He only said it once. It's here. Nowhere else in the Bible. Filling up. Filling up the sufferings that is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. So why does God send suffering? The answer is that you might come into his inheritance for you. Now, all Christians are called to come into their inheritance. Some do, some don't. And those that do are those who learned not to complain. Now, it may take a while. It took me years. I'm ashamed to say, but when I had the breakthrough with that pizza incident, I've not been the same since. And you can take any trial. Now, the high watermark of suffering is when you suffer for Jesus, for the gospel, when you're persecuted. That's the highest level. But take any level of suffering. Dignify it. It could be sickness. It could be financial reverse. It could be a marriage problem. It reminds me, I was preaching in Northern Ireland, and a man came up to me after I preached on uh, thorn in the flesh, and he said, can I ask you a question? Sure. Can your wife be your enemy? I said, yes. Thank you, he said. And then I went back later, and he said, I love your book on unhappy marriage. I said, I haven't written a book on unhappy marriage. He says, you have. I, he said, it changed my life. I said, whoa. It hit me that in my book, Thorn in the Flesh, I have a chapter on unhappy marriage <laughs> as, as a possibility. Your thorn in the flesh could be an unhappy marriage. And he said, it changed his life. The point is, if you're going through something, take it with both hands. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And so we're not alone. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I love this verse. John says, I'm your brother in tribulation. Uh, you're a part of the body. Now, what does he mean? Filling up what is lacking. The only person I've known to address this in a sermon was Joseph Tsong. You that have got good memories may recall that Joseph Tsong is the man that said to me, changed my life in a different way, RT, you must totally forgive them. Led to my preaching on total forgiveness. Same Joseph Tsong. Well, at those days he lived in Romania. He happened to be in London. I had him preach for me. And he preached a sermon. I would say the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. Mysterious reasons for sufferings. One of them is, he preached from Job. And one of the reasons for Job's suffering was the angels wanted to see 
Could a man endure suffering and not renounce God? The devil says, you take all of his prosperity and he will curse you. That's what the devil said to God. And God let the devil go so far. And we're told that having gone through the worst kind of suffering, Job did not charge God foolishly. He did not sin. And so God lets us suffer partly as a demonstration before the angels whether you will be typical, complain, how could this happen to me? Or if you will say, don't understand it, God, but I love you. I will serve you anyway. And Job could say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And so the angels are watching. Will we cave in or dignify hard trials? Now for the most astonishing point. Paul says, so much suffering has been allocated to the body of Christ. That means the church. In other words, a quota, a certain quantity. And such suffering is called Christ's afflictions, pain in his body. Here's the thing. God is looking for people who will suffer and not complain. And you might like to know there is space available Because so many complain. And God says, you're out. And Paul is saying, I am not complaining. In fact, look at it. Verse 24, Colossians 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He is not complaining. He says, I rejoice. Well, you see, Paul could claim this is precisely the explanation for his sufferings. By the way, that question, why be a Christian? Do you believe everybody should be Christians? Do you? Why? What would you say? Do you, do you believe your loved ones should be Christians? Why? Do you believe your neighbor should be saved? The people you work with? Why? If you said to me, well, I reason that people should uh, be Christians, it'll help in their marriage. Really? You could have fooled me. <laughs> Did you know statistics have shown in Britain and in America, of those married in a church, 50% end up in divorce. Those married in a registry office, just to the peace, 50% end up in divorce. So you can't say Christianity is going to solve your marriage. Well, you might say, well, <laughs> you'll be happier. Really? The first man or person I baptized at Westminster Chapel was a man by the name of J. Michaels. You won't know that name, but if I were to refer to Al Michaels... The sportscaster, you've heard of him, many of you. Well, J. Michaels, his dad, 
was a Los Angeles Jew businessman on his way to Moscow, came through London where he had an office. His secretary invited him to come to Westminster Chapel one Sunday night. He came, converted that night. I didn't know about it for months. But he was converted that night. We later got to be friends. In fact, I took him bone fishing in the Keys. He took me out deep sea fishing. We were great friends. Got me tickets to Wimbledon. And uh, J. Michael, sitting in a restaurant one day, said this. You ready? He said, R.T., before I became a Christian, I was a happy man. <laughs> Would you want to him, invite him to an evangelistic campaign? And he gives his testimony just before the preacher and says, yes, I'm a Christian. And I want you to know before I was a Christian, oh, I was a happy man. Ooh, those days when I was a happy man. He wasn't complaining. He was just stating a fact. His wife wouldn't convert. His family wouldn't convert. He's in heaven today. Uh, would you like to hear Paul's testimony? And we say, Paul, um, I'd like for you to testify what Christianity has done for you. He said, okay, I can do that. Well, let's, let's see if we can find where Paul says what Christianity has done for him. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Oh, Paul, really? Oh, I want to be a Christian. Three times I was bitten with rods. Oh, tell me more, Paul. This is wonderful. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day was drift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people. Oh, Paul, how soon can I become a Christian? This sounds so good to me. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night. Do you know what it is not to be able to sleep? Paul said, I know about that. In hunger and thirst, often without food. You say, well, I, no one told me it was going to be like this. Well, I'm telling you today, and you can decide whether you want to stay in or out. And this is something we all need to face. And when I was invited by your beloved pastor, we decided this is what you need. I don't claim to have a prophetic gift, but it could be that as a church or individuals here, some hard times are ahead. If so, let this word prepare you. Well, as for Paul, he has taken this suffering with both hands. And it must be said, these sufferings, the writer to the Hebrews, whether it was Paul or no one would get to heaven, said, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. The word chasten, it comes from a Greek word that means enforced learning. He said it's not fun. It's not pleasant. In fact, it's painful. But it's because God wants you to come into your inheritance. 
and the way you come into your inheritance is to learn not to complain and just say, Lord, I will serve you no matter what. And I would say people in this auditorium today, as I speak, you need to calculate in your mind. Is this something I want? And God is saying, you can go home, you can get out of it. Or you can be with Peter who said, to whom shall we go? You know, at the beginning of the sixth chapter of John, there were 5,000 people following Jesus. And that was just the number of men. If you count the women, the boys, we could say 10, 12,000. Because he had performed the miracle, the loaves and the fish. And so they, they said, boy, I like this. They, they hung around. And then in the sixth chapter of John, you have what is called the hard sayings of the gospel. And when Jesus said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, he didn't bother to explain what he meant by that. He could have said, oh, don't, don't run away quick. Hey, wait, wait, don't, don't leave. Don't leave. Uh, this is a reference to the Lord's Supper. Uh, no, he didn't even bother to explain what he meant. They just turned around, and then when he said, no man can come to me except the Father draw him, from that time they just left. And 5,000 people, maybe 12,000, now down to an audience of the 12. And Jesus said to them, are you going to go away too? And Peter said to him, shall we go? You've got the words of eternal life. And I believe that God has sent me here to preach this message. There's only one reason you're going to want it. Only one. And that is if you want more of God. That's it. More of God. I, my most recent, well, no, two books back. It's called More of God. Most people want more from God. They use him. Heal me. Give me a better job. Prosper me from him. No, how many want more of him? You just want his presence. You want his pleasure. You want to know he's pleased with you. Question. Which gives you more satisfaction? When God is pleasing you or when you are pleasing him? Now, when he's pleasing you, answers your prayer, gives you the good job, new friend, wind at your back. Oh, thank you, Lord. Love it. But then, says the writer of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. I would challenge you to get your satisfaction from knowing that you're pleasing him. That's the way you do it. You see, when he's pleasing you, and you're saying, glory to God, actually, you're not pleasing him, Ben. He's pleasing you. But when things go wrong, and Satan gives you fits, and your best friend turns his back on you, you lose your job, bad news regarding your health, marriage in difficulty. We could go on and on. This is a moment to say, Lord, it's okay. I love you. I serve you. 
And that is what pleases him. And the satisfaction that you can get knowing you're doing that. That's when you enter the big leagues. You see, this is, this is not softball. And this is not uh, playing in the neighborhood. This is the major leagues. And God is calling you to be like those in Hebrews chapter 11 who did what they did by faith and didn't give up. And they all went through trouble to get there. You've got a question that you need to answer before the day is over. Well, let's go back now to this subject, purpose of suffering. And I want to talk about the privilege of suffering. You say, I don't think I like this. Well, it should be obvious by now. Paul is saying it's a privilege. He says, you could have fooled me. Or someone would say that. So much suffering, says Paul, has been allocated to the body of Christ. Let me put it to you this way. What if so much money has been allocated to you, would you not welcome it? Uh, shall it be given to someone else because you didn't claim it? And you're told, you go to your bank tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, there's money allocated to you. I think you might go and claim it. Paul is saying that about suffering. So much suffering has been allocated. And God has determined that so much suffering is allocated to the body of Christ. There are those who have rejected it and they say, no, I don't want that. But if this has come to you, it's an invitation from the Most High God to be elevated to a higher level where you get more of God, greater anointing. And if you get more, rejoice. To whom much is given shall much be required. And it could be that there are people here today, you've been earmarked for greatness. And the angels are watching to see how you will react. It could be sexual temptation. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife. He had the chance to have the perfect affair nobody would ever find out. She's not going to tell her husband. Nobody back in Canaan would know. But Joseph said to her, how can I do this and sin against God? Most people I know avoid an affair because they think they might get caught, so they don't. Joseph had a perfect chance to do it. No one would know. But he said to her, how can I do this and sin against God? He knows. He couldn't have known he was earmarked to be the future prime minister of Egypt. He could have blown it right then. And you may be going through tough times. The angels are watching. Don't miss what God has in mind for you. And so... What else is meant by Christ's sufferings? Well, as I said, the highest levels, if you're persecuted for the gospel, not a lot of that today. It depends what part of the world you're in. But in America, not a lot. Certain parts of the world, they're in tribulation right now. 
The suffering is unbearable. So when we're persecuted, you need to know that Jesus feels it. That's encouraging to me. How, how do you know that, R.T.? Well, when God struck Paul down on the road to Damascus, and Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus, why do you persecute me? Persecute you? Oh, Jesus, you're persecuting me. That lets you know he feels it. And this is the wonderful thing you have at the right hand of God, not only your intercessor, but your elder brother. He's touched with the feeling of your weaknesses. And he feels it. And he's not moralizing you. He's saying, will you also go away? Or maybe today's the day that you have a, a renewal of your relationship with God. And say, Lord, I'm in it. I'm in it for whatever. I will not desert you. Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And here's something that would, I think, encourage all of us. The greater the suffering, the greater the anointing. I suppose if I gave an altar call at the end of the sermon and say, look, two ways now of increasing your anointing. All those who want me to lay hands on you, I want you to uh, come down these two aisles, this, all, these three aisles. All of you, and if you're over on this side, if you want me to lay hands on you, that's the way you want to just come on over here. And then if there's anyone here that you're willing to accept suffering is the way God wants to increase your anointing, you get in line over here. How many would come? But God isn't doing it that way. What he does, he, he puts a trial before you and just to see whether you will react. And it's a privilege if you're chosen to suffer. This is why James said, count it pure joy. Because the day will come, you'll be so thankful. When my mother was a teenager, she sat at the feet of a, an old lady in Springfield, Illinois, who'd been serving the Lord for many, many, many years. And you know what she said one day? She says, girls, I've been, a, been serving the Lord for so long that I can no longer tell the difference between a blessing and a trial. And the trial comes to those who have served God and they don't understand it. Chances are you've never heard of Henry Morrison. Henry Morrison, uh, over a hundred years ago, was a Baptist missionary in Africa during the same era when President Theodore Roosevelt was president. And he was a missionary in Africa for 40 years. He sent a letter home to all of his friends and said, I'm coming home. And uh, he thought maybe one or two would show up at the New York Harbor. Uh, he let them know he'd been serving the Lord for 40 years. He, you know, maybe somebody would just show up. Uh, 
Well, what happened was, as the ship is going into the New York Harbor, a band is playing. And he heard the band, and he said to his wife, oh, they shouldn't have done that for me. Oh, he was so touched that they would do that. Got a band to play for him. And so he was going to be first off the ship. He had his suitcases there. And when they brought the gangplank up, as he started to walk down, a policeman said, stop here, sir. Oh, he put his suitcase down. It turned out that President Roosevelt was on the ship. He had spent three weeks game hunting in Africa. He's coming home. The band is for the president. As it turned out, the old missionary was the last off the ship. He walks down the gangplank and looks around. Not a soul to meet him. They walk three blocks over to a third-rate hotel. He falls on the bed and says, God, I serve you for 40 years in Africa, and I come home. There's nobody here. President Roosevelt comes home, and a band plays for him. But then guess what? The Lord whispered to him, but you're not home yet. Paul says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time do not compare with the glory that should follow. And so, such suffering is preparation. It's not punishment. God's not getting even with you. No, it's a test to see whether you'll pass or fail. It's preparation. It means God isn't finished with you yet. The greater the suffering, the greater the responsibility. To whom much is given shall much be required. And if you're suffering, take it with both hands. Heavenly Father, apply this word by your Holy Spirit. You know, I've racked my brain for several days. How do I close this sermon? And I think I am going to ask the pastor to come up here. You close it. I'm finished.
when we got everything scheduled lined up. He said, what do you want me to preach on? And the standard answer is whatever you feel the Lord leading you to preach on. But before I could even answer that, he said, and don't say whatever you feel led to preach on. And I told him I'd pray for it. And no sooner had I hit the send button on my phone that I realized that I did know exactly what we needed to hear about. That's where this message came from. Loved ones, this is one of those things that I, I, couldn't, I couldn't express it better. We need to grab it with both hands. <clears throat> we need to let God bring us to a place of full realization. I was all through the night tossing and turning, not out of anything being wrong, just anticipation for the service. And I was reminded of, I, I think it's, First Chronicles 26, I think it is, where it talks about the temple being built under Solomon. And there's one verse right there in chapter 26 that is so powerful. It said that the, that the um, riches, the spoils, some translations say, from the battles that had been fought were used for the maintenance and the upkeep of the temple. And it just became very real to me in the middle of the night that it's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, the God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction so we can comfort those that are in the same trials. Can I tell you that what you've been going through, it's not God's displeasure R.T. said it's not, it's not punishment. The battles you've been fighting are building up the temple. The spoils of those battles you've been in are enriching your life and the life of others as well. I'm not talking about financial gain, although God can certainly do that but I'm talking about character development. I'm talking about spiritual maturity. There are some things, loved ones, and I know this is not popular in Pentecostal and charismatic churches, but there are some things that come from suffering and our faithfulness in it that cannot be attained any other way. It simply is no other way. So I've got a choice. RT's presented it. I don't need to re-preach his message, but I've got a choice. I can whine and complain or I can invest what my battles win. I can invest it in the kingdom. I can invest it in people. I can invest it in the kingdom of God, the temple of God, the house of God. Would you stand with me? This is the way we want to end the service today. There are people here. RT says that he suspects you're here. I know you. I know you're here. That you're facing such difficulty, you're facing such trouble, you're facing so many questions, you don't know the whys, and you need the Lord to sustain and help you. And we want to open the altar for you today. We want to ask you to come, and we want to pray for you. Now, most importantly, if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus 
as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come too. And when the ministry team gets to you, just tell them you want to accept Christ as your Lord and forgiver, your Savior. They'll know what to do. But loved ones, He is drawing close. He is extending His compassionate hand. He is adding dignity to your trial and value to your suffering. And if you want a touch from the Lord, I want to ask you just, would you slip out of your seat and just come and stand in the altar area? You would say, Pastor, I need the Lord to touch me in this way. I'm struggling with things. And as I see you coming, I know, I know, I know, I know what some of you are going through. I know the difficulty and the trials that you've had. But he's going to give you the spoils of the battle that you've been in. Beautiful, beautiful. RT, thank you for this message. This was the Lord's doing. Thank you. Now, Ryan is going, and the ministry team are going to lead those of us that maybe are in our seats just to continue to worship and praise God. The ministry team is going to move in and among you, laying hands on you, praying for you, blessing you in the name of the Lord. We're going to ask the pastors to move among the crowd that has come. Let's lay hands on them and believe God for the sustaining, strengthening power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Thank you for being here today. If you need to go, God bless you and keep you as you go. May the Lord's face shine upon you with his extraordinary grace. But if you're able to stay just a little while and worship and pour your heart out, we invite you to do that as well. Okay? Ministry team, please begin uh, your work among the congregation.